there was an elderly gentleman who was very fit, and he was hanging out with a group of young people. He showed them his muscles. He said, I am fit as a fiddle. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. I don't chase women, I don't do illegal drugs. I try to live for the glory of God every day of my life. And tomorrow, I'm going to be blessed to celebrate my 95th birthday. One of the young men in the crowd says, if you don't do any of that stuff, how are you going to celebrate and be blessed? You know, because that's what our world thinks, is that if we're going to celebrate, it's got to somehow be immoral or, or illegal uh, to have a good time. But in God's eyes, that's not what life is all about. God has called us uh, to live a life that brings honor to Him. By the first century, when Jesus came on the scene, the Jewish people, had, the people of God, had taken their, um, their lives and turned them into a set of rules and traditions. And they were just going through the motions of honoring God. Today, most people, many people in our culture don't even think about God in the lives that they live. But Jesus came on the scene and He brought a message. He brought a message for what it means to live the blessed life and to live the kind of life that God calls us to. And today we're starting a new series. It's called Summer on the Bount. We're going to go through 10 weeks this summer of looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So if you, uh, uh, if you think about Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount, it is to live counter to the culture. That is, live opposite of what the culture tells you should live. You know, we often think of the word blessed, and we think what blessed means is I get what I want. If I get what I want, I'm blessed. But in God's eyes, to be blessed is something else. You know, blessed means to bestow favor or goodness on someone else. When we bless somebody, we, we pour favor on them or, or do good to them. And God does that for us. When God does that, it's kind of a, we, we are blessed, we kind of get a holy happy for what God has done to us. And God desires to pour out His favor and His goodness on us. You know what else God does when we get off on the wrong path? God withholds His favor and His goodness to us. In our culture, this world often has a disregard for God. People are so caught up in looking at selfish desires and only wanting what I want, what I think is going to make me happy. The world would tell you to seek wealth and status if you want to have the blessed life. But today, as we begin this series, we're going to ask the question, how can we be blessed without chasing wealth and status? You know, Jesus turns it all upside down in this Sermon on the Mount. He shows us what's important if we're going to live for God. So I'd like for you to take your Bibles today and turn to Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's three chapters long. There's some hard sayings in here for our culture. 
But at the same time, some of what Jesus says sets us free. Free to live for God and live the kind of life that he calls us to. And much of this runs counter to the culture that we live in. It runs counter to what the universities teach. It runs counter to what pop artists sing about. Frankly, it runs counter to what motivates most people to get out of bed. To go, go, go. To get, get, get. To spin, spin, spin. To, to want more and more. You know, if we listen to the TV commercials and the radio commercials out there, they will have us to believe that if we can just get the stuff that they're offering, we're going to have the blessed life. Truth is, chasing after some of this stuff is what makes us miserable. But what Jesus wants to give you is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but a get-blessed-spiritually scheme. And if we'll follow Jesus' words and learn from his teaching, we can live counter to the culture and find the blessed life that God wants us to have. Jesus was probably in Galilee when he taught this, according to chapter 4 of Matthew. And he begins to speak to the people. So read with me here in Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. Now let's think about that for just a minute. Jesus was in Galilee. There was a mountain there. There were crowds. Usually thousands of people gathered around Jesus to hear his teaching. And he probably got up on the side of this mountain so people could see him, so they could hear him. And it says he sat down. Back in the first century, that's what the rabbis did when they were teaching the people. They would sit down. They would stand up to read Scripture, but they would sit down to teach. And so Jesus sits down, and it says his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. This is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus sort of gives this manifesto of what it means to be blessed and to live the kind of life that God calls us to. What we have here are attitudes to strive for. They've come to be called throughout the years the B attitudes. B for blessed. The blessed attitudes, if you will. Now these are not multiple choice. It's not like you can say, oh, I'd like to have number one. I don't really care about number two or number three. I'll take a little bit of number four. No, these are like rungs to a ladder, like stepping stones to a mature godly life. And Jesus wants us to work toward all of these attitudes that he lists in this passage. These attitudes lead us to spiritual maturity. 
And we're going to break each one of these down. Here's the first one. The attitude of admitting my spiritual deficit. Notice he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Think about that for a minute. What does that mean? Wouldn't that mean that you would be unspiritual if you were poor in spirit? Is Jesus saying if you're unspiritual, then, um, then you are, uh, that's what he wants you to be? No. You're blessed when you realize how far you fall short of the spiritual life that Jesus wants you to have. When you have this attitude that says, Hey, God, I know I'm not what I need to be. I know I'm not what you want me to be. You know, Isaiah the prophet, one of the famous prophets in the Old Testament, had a sort of a come-to-Jesus moment when he realized he was unspiritual. In, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he's in the temple. He has an encounter with God. And listen to what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He came to recognize that he was poor in spirit, that he wasn't what God wanted him to be. Later on in the book of Isaiah, in 64, verse 6, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You see, we're all sinful. We're all uh, unspiritual. But God wants us to help us with that. And until we realize that we are poor in spirit, we'll never see the need for a Savior. And until we find Jesus, we'll never overcome and find forgiveness for our sins. That's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because when we recognize our poor spiritual being, then it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We come to the place where we recognize we need Jesus, and that's how we get into heaven. Second attitude is sorrow for my sin. Blessed are those who mourn, it says. You know, the Jews were, uh, were coming to Jesus, and in this day, the Jews were downtrodden. They were all mourning. But they were mourning because of the Roman oppression. The Roman government oppressed the Jewish people. And they were weeping as a nation. But you know why God allowed the Romans to oppress the Jewish people? Because of their sinfulness. Because they were not living to God's standard. It was because of the sin of Israel. Back in Psalm 119, 136, King David wrote, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. You see, the people weren't really seeking after God in that day. And Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn. The reason why they mourn is because they realize they're poor in spirit, that they have a, a sin failure and a spiritual failure. Listen, I heard about a grandmother that um, had her grandkids over every so often, and, and she would always read a Bible story to them. And this one night, she says, we're not going to read a story tonight. We're going to talk about sin. Do you know what sin is? And seven-year-old Keith said, yes, ma'am, I know what sin is. Sin's when you do something really bad. And she said, yes, that is correct. And then little Aaron, he's four years old, said, I saw Keith do a sin today, a really bad sin. 
And Keith looked at Aaron and he said, you take care of your sins, I'll take care of my sins. And isn't that the way we want to live our lives? We don't want anybody to know about our sin, but we don't, we don't want to do anything about it because we enjoy our sin sometimes. And Christ is saying, no, you've got to mourn because of your sin. You've got to come to the point where you realize that you're not living to God's standard that He's called you to. So blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And then the third attitude is an attitude of humility before God. Blessed are the meek, he says. Now, you know, we, we get a, when we hear that word meek, what do we think about? Somebody who's a wimp, somebody who's a sissy, somebody who uh, uh, is, is not a very strong person. We think about a meek person. But that word meek is the English translation of a Greek word. And to be honest with you, meek doesn't really do the word justice as to what it means in the original Greek. It was a word used of a horse that had been properly trained and that was, that was subdued and that followed its master and obeyed its owner. A horse is certainly no wimp. They're one of the strongest animals there is. But they were subdued and gentle and obedient. They were meek. And this is a word that Jesus is using here. That we're like this, this strong animal, but we are obedient to our God. And we follow what He wants us to do. It's the idea that we are submitted ourselves to follow God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. You know, we sometimes think of somebody that's humble as being weak or meek. But Moses was said to be the humblest man on the earth. And he led two million people out of slavery in Egypt and in through the wilderness. Or what about Jesus? The Scripture tells us He was gentle and humble. He was meek. But look at what He did. He stood up to the Jewish leaders, called them out for their sin. He spoke the truth to them that they had distorted. He went to the cross and gave His life. And He took the sins of the whole world on His shoulders. Jesus was meek, but He was obedient to His Father. You know, when we humble ourselves before Him, we don't do it because we're scared of God. We don't do it because uh, we think He's a mean ogre and He's bad about our sin and, and, and we're scared of Him. We do it because of His love for us. Martin Luther, the theologian of the 16th century, said he, in his upbringing he was taught that the gospel was an exercise in fear. Terrible, unforgiving. That's how I saw God punishing us in this life, committing us to purgatory after death, sentencing sinners to burn in hell for all eternity. But I was wrong. Those who see God as angry do not see Him rightly, but look upon a curtain as if a dark storm cloud had been drawn across His face. 
If we truly believe that Christ is Savior, then we have a God of love. And to see God in faith is to look upon His friendly heart. Then he says this, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where He is, there I will be also. You see, we have to humble ourselves before Jesus because that's where the forgiveness for our sins come. And the Scripture says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, Jesus is coming back one day. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will belong to those who have humbled themselves before God because they are the ones that know how to take care of it. Well, number four is an attitude of obedience to God's will. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, when we think about righteousness, you know, we often miss the mark on that. Righteousness does not mean keeping a list of rules. Abraham, back in the Old Testament, was de declared righteous because he believed in God. He trusted Him, and he sought fellowship with God. You know, so many people today think of righteousness as being keeping, keeping a list of rules, and a lot of time it's a list of rules that they have made up that they think, oh, if I just keep these few rules, I'm be okay with Jesus. But Jesus is not looking for that. He's looking for a relationship with us. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, <coughs> Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. You see, if we don't connect belief and righteousness with a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've missed the point. Righteousness before God means a right relationship. And Jesus wants us to be in that relationship. And it doesn't mean that we do some things that we think God will like. It means we have this love relationship with God. And we desire to please Him and be in fellowship with Him. You know, when you think about hungering and thirsting for something, think about a time when you were starving and you wanted food and water and you would do anything to get that. And that's what He wants us to be, is to hunger and thirst for His righteousness. And when we do that, He says, we will be filled, we'll be satisfied. Well, number five is the attitude of compassion for others. Blessed are the merciful. The Bible says God is rich in mercy. And mercy is when you don't give somebody the punishment they deserve or when you don't cause someone to pay a debt that they owe. You show mercy to them. God shows mercy to us every day. He gives us mercy for our sin debt every day. And it comes as a result of Him looking on us out of love because He greatly cares for us and He longs for us to turn to Him. 
And Jesus is telling us here to, to turn and receive God's mercy, but also to show mercy to the world that we live in. You know, to show mercy is to show love to the world, even the undeserving world or the, uh, the unlovely world. We reach out and we show them God's mercy because we know that we have received mercy. Mike Bro was a, um, is a Christian preacher, and he um, used to dean a camp week every week, and he would be the leader of the camp. And every year, he said, at the end, on Friday night, they would have a talent show. And all these junior high campers, most of them would do some kind of talent. And he said, to be honest, the thing went on forever, and most of them weren't very good. But he said, we had this one kid, and he was kind of challenged a little bit. He was a, he was a goofy kid, and not very many people liked this kid, but he insisted that he was going to sing a song. And so he gets up and puts his CD in to sing his song, and he was singing that song by Michael W. Smith, Friends are Friends Forever, remember that song? And he gets up and starts singing, and he's off-key, and he's out of rhythm, and he's not anywhere close to the music. And all the kids started laughing and pointing and making jokes at him. And then all of a sudden, in the back row, this girl named Jessica, she's an eighth grader, she jumps up and runs up and grabs a microphone and puts her arm around him, and she begins to sing with him and get him back on key. And Jonathan finally got it all together, and he sang the last line by himself perfectly. And the, uh, Mike Bro said there wasn't a dry in the house after he did that. You see, Jessica showed God's mercy, his love to this young man who was basically unloved and unlovable. You know what? Those that show mercy, they will be shown mercy, it says. Number six is an attitude of honesty with God. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, the person who is pure in heart is the person who is honest with God. They come before God and they say, God, I recognize that I'm not all that you want me to be, but I'm, I'm genuinely trying. I want to live for you. I want to begin to do the things that you want me to do. I want to have a genuine relationship with you. And I have decided that I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, since I was six years old, I learned uh, John 3.16, and I believed in Jesus. But you know what? It was a pseudo-faith. Because in my late teens and my early 20s, I didn't live like I believed in Jesus. In fact, I, I lived a pretty, pretty bad life in some respects. And I would say I believed in Jesus. I would say, yeah, I got faith and I'm going to heaven when I die. But I didn't live that way. It was, a, it was not a real faith. But you know, when I was 30 years old, I went to a church. And there at that church, I heard the gospel. And I saw Jesus for the first time. And I recognized some of these other things, that I was poor in spirit, and that I should be mourning for the life that I had lived. And my life was changed one day at Savannah Christian Church. <coughs> and I got before God and said, God, I'm not perfect and I'm far from it. 
but I'm going to be pure and I'm going to seek you and I'm going to begin to try to live for you. And the rest of that, what happened is what brought me here to Central Christian Church today. And it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, if you haven't seen God yet, maybe it's because you're not pure in heart. You're not telling yourself that, God, I'm not good enough, and I want to come before you, and I want you to help me see what you want me to become. Number seven is an attitude of peace with everyone. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, in Jesus' culture, the word peace was the word shalom, the Hebrew word. And shalom doesn't just mean absence of turmoil, which is usually what we think about peace as being, just not any turmoil in our life. But shalom meant that plus the presence of good things, the needs of my life, and the joy that, that I can have in my life. And it's akin to what we call the blessed life. And so when we have that shalom, and when we are peacemakers, we spread that shalom around to others. You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that come in and are always looking for what's wrong, and always wanting to point out everybody's flaws. And then there are those that are just coming in and trying to make everything better, no matter what's wrong, and no matter how many flaws everybody has. Which kind do you think God wants us to be? He wants us to be the peacemaker. He wants us to be the one that brings the, the shalom, the goodness, and the good things, and to meet needs, and to live a life of joy. Um, that's what God wants us to be. And He says He will reward the peacemakers. Because look at what it says. They will be called a child of God. You know, this passage has always puzzled me because there's like eight things here. Of course, seven is the number of completeness. And I always thought Jesus should have stopped right there at eight. I mean, at seven. And really, he did in some ways. Because those first seven are all about what we do. They're about us and the attitudes that we have. But if you look at the eighth one, it's a little different. It comes in verses 10 through 12. And it comes as a result of doing the first seven, of having those attitudes and living those attitudes out. And then it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And so he begins to talk about being persecuted. And so the attitude that comes out of that, the eighth attitude, is the attitude of perseverance in dealing with opposition. Because, you know, if you follow Jesus, there are going to be some people that don't like that. There are going to be some people that um, they, want to, um, they want to ridicule you. They're going to want to spread lies about you. I read just yesterday that there was a uh, protest, an anti-abortion rally that was up in, uh, in Boston. And across the street, of course, there was a pro-choice rally going on. But one of the pro-choice guys brought a bicycle lock over and went to this guy, David Guggio, who was speaking on a microphone, and he took that bicycle lock and he hit the speaker, and then he took a swung at David 
uh, and tried to hit him in the head with the bicycle lock because he was up there talking about his faith, his belief in God, and that he believed abortion was uh, wrong. He says, we have a right to be in public square and a right to share our faith, and this is what I believe. Well, luckily, there were police there, and the protester uh, with the bicycle lock, he got, um, he got detained by the police. He was handcuffed, and he is to appear in court later this month. When you speak up for Jesus, somebody's not going to like it. And sometimes people will persecute you. That persecution may not always be physical. It may be an insult. It may be to speak falsely about you. And trust me, Satan is always going to be against you, trying to persecute you, and trying to discourage and defame and deter you. But when we stand our ground, and when we have this attitude that I am going to persevere, I'm going to stand for Jesus, and I'm going to touch him, trust Him in all that I do to guide and direct me, then you will come to know uh, what it is to be persecuted but to persevere through that, and you will find the blessed life. There's a writing, I read this a couple of years ago, but it bears repeating. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. <coughs> I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, platitudes, or popularity. I now live by the presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, or ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will not have a problem recognizing me. My color will be clear. Now that's a beautiful saying. It's motivational. But you know who wrote it? It was a Rwandan man who had become a Christian in 1980. And he was approached by his tribe. And they told him if he did not denounce Jesus Christ, he would be put to death. He would not denounce Jesus Christ. They found this writing in his bedroom the next day after he had been put to death. And it was, uh, it was titled, The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Bob Moorhead had collected this, and he put it in his book, Words Aptly Spoken. 
You know, the Apostle Paul once wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And if we stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ, we will know that salvation. And if we look at these rungs of this ladder and begin to work through these and grow and mature, we will come to realize the blessed life that God has for each of us. Here's our connection today. You see, maintaining these attitudes runs counter to the culture the world says is desirable, but they result in great blessing. Let's go through them one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Blessed are the persecuted and those who are insulted falsely. Theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Listen, these are not eight different groups of, of things to do that we pick and choose. These are steps that we take to the mature life in Christ. And they're not eight different blessings that some of us will get one or two of them. These are blessings that we all receive as we grow and mature in Christ. There are eight attitudes, eight qualities that are responsibility of every Christian. And there are eight blessings and privileges that every Christian receives as they strive to have this attitude. Attitude. Steps. Rones on a ladder. Where are you at? Begin to climb. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've just touched the tip of the iceberg today as we begin to see what the blessed life looks like. And Father, we pray that you would uh, guide us through this, this summer, Lord, as we are up on the, on the mountaintop with Jesus, learning from him and coming to understand how you want to guide us and direct us through this life. And so I pray that you will help us to take all of this in stride and begin to live this kind of life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name. I pray and praise. Amen.